and welcome to Live Vedanta, a podcast where we explore simple living and high thinking. Each week, we join Vivek Gupta as he offers insights on bringing the divine into the daily. We began our study of the text, Peace in a Restless World, made up of 18 articles written by individuals who lived and worked for peace. This text shows us that finding peace in others begins within ourselves. In this episode, we learn how to leverage our privilege for peace and specifically learn about this through the examples of great peacemakers. Let's tune in. from Raleigh. If you ever observe someone who doesn't know anything about something, as they start to know about that something, their questions evolve. Their questions deepen. In a very gross example, like a baby asking where babies come from. Slowly it evolves from physiological to moral, and on and on and on. If we think of ourselves, the first questions we have are about the jiva. What is this body? What am I doing? And the evolution of that question is, what is the jagat? How did creation come to be? And the evolution of that question It's no longer about the jiva, my body, or jagat, what I'm interacting with, but jagadishvara. What is the essence of me, the created, and creation? And the only way to find answers to all of this is through listening to those who know. And the words of those who know is called shruti our scriptures. Our scriptures guide us with insights into the person. That's the jiva. Guide us with insights into the path, where this person is going, and guide us with insights into the purpose. What is the ends to this meet? As Setukais, I'm sharing all of this because the demographic that we are, the, the terminology that describes us is bridge builders. So there's me, there's the bridge. Where? Where is this bridge being built? And for us to think about this Jiva, Jagat, Jagadishra, the person, the path, the purpose. In an earlier article, a beautiful sharing was given on being proud of understanding. We're proud of our jobs, we're proud of our kids, we're proud of our name, but the author was sharing that we should be proud of our understanding. What a great reason to be proud of. Like I'm jealous, I'm jealous of those who have, are more virtuous than me. That's a great reason to be jealous. 
Last month, in Article 10, Swami Tejomayananda is sharing, we should focus less on what to do and focus more on what not to do. In the science of Vedanta, this is called Yama. Yama means stop. Yama means don't. And one of the first, one of the most popular Yamas is Ahimsa. Ahimsa means non-violence. Who are we most violent against? Ourselves. The deepest violence is to think I'm a human. When in actuality, I am humanity. When in actuality, I am happiness. Today, we had a powerful workshop in uh, Raleigh on cyberbullying. And two frameworks that we tried to connect with. Where there is separation, there is differentiation. Yes? If I start to really separate my fingers, I start to see this one's longer and this one's shorter. But we never separate our fingers, where we differentiate them. And where there's differentiation, there's isolation. Because you just keep going with that separateness, the division, and you just start to feel isolated. Many bullies have suffered, are suffering from isolation. They don't feel that they belong. They're excluded. Which then leads to the next framework. When you compare, I'm making this more relative. When you compare, the natural expression of comparing is jealousy. How many of you felt jealousy this week? Because we compared. Do you feel jealous of yourself? <laughs> Does it frustrate you to look in the mirror and, and feel that jealousy? But there's comparing only where there's two entities, multiple entities, and we feel jealous. And jealousy always settles or devolves with insecurity. Now, who do you think bullies target? Don't they target those who are insecure? Think about religious conversion. Do they try to convert rich people, strong people, people who have influence? It is the poor, the vulnerable, those who are physically not well, correct? So isolation is a catalyst for bullying. Insecurity is a catalyst for being bullied. So here Swami Tejamayananda is teaching us to be careful about the himsa against ourselves. And ahimsa, this don't, when followed, leads us all the way to samadhi. The last of the eight parts of yoga, according to Rishi Patanjali, is samadhi. See how we have to begin and where this path will take us to that purpose. In the 11th article, what the author shares, Strong words are needed. And that was weird how I said that, but it just came out like that. <laughs> strong words are needed to shake us out of our conditioning, our tamas. 
Strong words are needed to shake someone, to wake someone. And we had a Devi satsang on uh, Friday. So once a week, once a month, sorry, I meet with all of our Devis, those women who are 21 and older. And I was sharing with them that many of you came late to class. Many of you, as I'm speaking, you're having side conversations. Do you even care to know who you are? And I said that in a very overt way. And I shared, I'm hard on you because nobody else is. People who don't care about you are not hard on you. People who care about you are hard on you because they know your potential is more. That's why our Guru Shishya Parampara, that's why wise people like the author in this article says, we need those strong words to wake us up to who we are. If uh, you're not paying attention as you're crossing the street and and someone sees a car that's coming, are they just going to whisper, hey, move out of the way. There's a car coming. You may get it. Right? They're going to scream. They're going to throw something at you <laughs> to get your attention because it's required to save your, your physical well-being. Whenever you feel these strong words, understand it applies to you more. When someone makes an observation about lack of punctuality or lack of discipline and you feel offended because you know it, it's relevant to you. In the 12th article, there's a beautiful message there that shares. When we accept ourselves, it's like building a house. And when we accept God, that house becomes the house of God. In other words, you feel at home. If you accept yourself, you've built a house. And by accepting God, God now lives inside of this house. When someone lives in a house, it's called a home. But I can only accept God if I accept myself. Do you accept yourself? How you look, who your spouse is, what you're supposed to do in life. And a great way to observe if you accept yourself is if you accept others. If you have a tough time accepting others, it's because you haven't practiced this with yourself. Sometimes people ask, how do you know if you're growing in this path? So many of you are near a computer. Type it up. Give me some keywords to indicate you're growing into yourself, self-development. Being cheerful, bouncing back, resiliency, forgiveness, tireless, patience, being quiet, determined, content. Very good. What I have read, in addition to what you've shared, is by seeing how others are around you. <laughs> if everyone around you is miserable, you're the cause. <laughs> if everyone around you is cheerful, you probably have something to do with that, isn't it? Like if a few people don't like me, it's their problem. But if nobody likes me, <laughs> then there's a problem with myself, right? So if I don't accept anyone, it's because I don't accept myself. <laughs> 
You know why we don't accept ourselves? Because we just live at the body level. How could you accept this? Our hair is so wiry. Our skin is so flabby. <laughs> our teeth are so dirty. <laughs> our posture keeps becoming less straight. If I think I'm just the body, why would I be proud of that? But if you start to go to the power of the mind, the ideology of the intellect, undoubtedly, you start to accept yourself that I have the, the potential of divinity. There is only insecurity for those who believe they're the body. If you believe you're Brahman, how can anyone touch that security? We continue with the 13th article in Peace in a Restless World. The 13th article is called Peacefully Remaining by Sogyal Rinpoche. Does that sound okay? <laughs> like I know how to pronounce so many of these names. <laughs> Today someone introduced me as Vivek. <laughs> and they said, is, <laughs> is that your name? And I didn't want to go into my name is Vivek, so I just said Vivek. You know, one step at a time, from Vivek to Vivek. <laughs> Next time it'll be Vivek. <laughs> but I, I was laughing so hard in my head, <laughs> Vivek. <laughs> so peacefully remaining is the article, the title of the article, and what's shared in this is, if you're an observer, you're not offended. If you're an observer, you're not offended. What is the Vedantic word for observer? Sakshi, the one who watches. A Sakshi is not limited by what is being witnessed. If I'm watching a car accident, which means I'm not in that car accident, nothing happens to my insurance rates, right? I'm the witness to that. A witness to a crime, they're never subject to the punishment of that crime. So to remain peacefully, we have to start to be an observer. An observer is not offended. Offended here, don't just think of this as insult. They're not shaken. So how do we get to that place of being an observer, not being shaken? How many of you are still in some sort of academic forum, as in your writing tests? I just put my hand up for support. You know, I, I didn't feel stressed this week and <laughs> I'm not writing any tests. But, you know, if I start, then other people hopefully will start too. <laughs> when you write a test, an exam, and afterwards, you go back into your notes to see what you did, what you didn't do. What does that actually show? You could have studied harder and smarter, correct? But if you've studied hard and smart after that test or exam, what do you do? You're free. Watch movies, you go for walks, you go to sleep, you go to eat. The way to be an observer, the way to be a sakshi, is to work as hard as you can. To be responsible. To follow dharma. And this is where Swami Chinmayanan, the simple quote which we always quote, whether we practice it, is different. Do your best and leave the rest. Here what's being shared is leave the rest. How do you get to that? 
by doing your best. What else can you do? Right? There's a few people in our class right now that are parents. Raising one's first child, and you have a second child, a lot of parents feel regret with their first child because they didn't raise them the way they're raising their second child. They were too hard or they were too soft, whatever it may be. And I have to share with such parents that you did your best. What else could you have done? You can't become a parent by reading a book, right? And undoubtedly, you raise your second child better. I know that by experience as a second child. <laughs> and then you give up on the third and, and fourth <laughs> forthcoming children also. But the point is, why would you regret when you're, you're operating with what you know? So the way to be an observer is to follow your responsibilities. So now as we think of dharma, what really stops us in our dharma is being distracted. Where is the grass the greenest? In Portland, right? Because it always rains there. In D.C., because that's the capital. Grass is greenest where you water it. Someone who's being responsible is not distracted. Someone who's distracted is not being responsible. Yeah? The word that the author uses is scattered. We have to be, go from being scattered to being integrated. And the terminology that's very popular about going from scattered to integrated is mindfulness. In Vedanta, we use words like yoga. We use words like samadhi and so on. Here, mindfulness is being used. How many of you have taken a course in mindfulness? You've all heard about how popular mindfulness is. Swami Chinmayananda has always shared <coughs> thoughts on mindfulness and his simple teaching is <coughs> keep your mind where your hands are. That's it. It doesn't have to be this big program that everyone talks about and pays about. <laughs> Pay attention. That's what mindfulness is. And to share this in more poetry it's to appreciate every experience you go through. Do you appreciate your commute? Do you appreciate pulling that toilet paper off of that roll? Do you appreciate fluoride in your water, if you have fluoride in your water? Do you appreciate how a comb works? How your voice works? How a car engine starts? And if you do, it'll be so fascinating, no? Your mind will be where your hands are. You will be responsible. You will be an observer. I see that strongly with, with infants. I see that with Vyasa a lot. Everything is most fascinating to him. He wakes up saying blender. Who cares about a blender? But for him, it's mind-blowing that this switch makes this go around. We put water in that blender and he, like in the morning, I'll do so much of work and he just keeps pressing that button. <laughs> blender, blender. Every morning, not a morning, every morning. Like he has three parents, Sheila, me and the blender, Vitamix. <laughs> and then all of a sudden we just, we stop appreciating our experiences, right? 
is a really simple and profound and practical article. And with that, we actually complete the third part of this text. The fourth part of Peace in a Restless World is called Peacemakers. And that's a cool name, Peacemaker. Um, I wish people called me a peacemaker. <laughs> we have peacekeepers, right? Like police officers are sometimes called peacekeepers. And that's, all, that's fine to keep it, but that means it's already there. But to be a peacemaker, right? We don't say, oh, you're a rainkeeper. You're a rainmaker. <laughs> that's way more powerful. And there's an awesome quote at the beginning of this whole section. So I'll read it to you. The second half. The saved one. To give you some context, the saved one is the one who has found peace in themselves, okay? The saved one becomes an elemental force of nature, a dynamo of spirit, working at a stupendously high velocity. What a cool description. Imagine, you know, on your resume, stupendously high velocity. That's how I move. <laughs> I would hire anyone who has that on their <laughs> resume. The renunciation he has practiced does not require him to flee from the world of works, but only to slay the ego sense. Very Bhagavad Gita-ish, no? Arjuna, where are you going? Whatever you need to become, you need to become here. Eternal life is here and now. It is the life of the eternal part of us, of the light within us, of intelligence and love, whose objects are incorruptible. And if you followed that last statement, Incorruptible means you're that right now. That which is corrupted can be changed. If it's incorruptible, it's never changed. We just didn't realize it's incorruptible. Right? A lot of the backpacks we now own, do you remember the backpacks you had in elementary school and high school? Did you have a Gen Sport backpack? You know, and the strap always broke, so you just left it kind of flapping all over the place. Now we have our Timbuktu backpacks and, and so on. Those have life warranties on them. If anything happens to that backpack, you can just go back and get a new one. <laughs> We're all thinking, yeah, perfect. You know, we'll put a cut here and a tear here and get a new backpack. But if you don't know you have that life warranty, you have to go and buy another one, isn't it? But if you know you have that life warranty, you go and return it. If I know I have a life warranty on my nature, I don't need to go anywhere to find my nature. I just need to go back to where I got or found my nature in the first place. Did that example work or, or not work? <laughs> just say yes. <laughs> okay, so in the 14th article, the 14th article is called The Words of Peace by Erwin Abrams, and this is a really cool article because the author is not really an author, but an editor, took the acceptance speeches of various Nobel Peace Prize winners. The acceptance speeches, or their message, took excerpts from that and put it all together. 
That's a, a fine way to talk about peacemakers. Some of the highlights from this article are the way that humans have applied their intelligence to matter, the way we've created technology and artificial intelligence, etc., etc., etc. If we don't, take that same intelligence and apply it to our relations, ourselves, our families, our friends, our community, the same technology we've created will lead to destruction. So I have all of this power and I'm applying it to stuff, but if I don't take that power and apply it to people, that stuff is going to destroy me because I don't know what to do with all of this. Guns don't kill people. People kill people. <laughs> Today I said that and someone said, you're a Republican. <laughs> totally missing what I'm trying to talk about. You get what I'm saying, yes? <laughs> Guns don't commit crimes. People commit crimes. And you're right. The short-term solution is to put hardcore rules and conditions to get a gun, but then someone will just start using knives and bombs and so on. The solution is to stop vi inner violence, that himsa. Then why would someone want to use a gun, right? Another highlight from these articles is, if those with privilege don't create the same privilege for others, then they are underprivileged. Every one of us is privileged beyond dreams. Like there's actually no other way we can be more privileged, correct? At the end of this class, if every one of you were given a million dollars in cash, that day would be harder than if you didn't have that million dollars in cash. Imagine you couldn't donate it. And I know all of you instinctually would say, Vivekji, we will give you 90%. <laughs> You're not thinking that. But really, if you couldn't donate it, what would you do with a million dollars? That day would be really hard. We can't be more privileged, but today, did you create that same privilege for someone who is underprivileged? And if you didn't, you're that underprivileged person. Because we don't even know we have these privileges. Strong words, no? To shake us, to wake us. Another message. Racism, poverty, and war. These are not being addressed by science. Today is a great example of that, no? We have so much science and so much racism. The way that we're growing science, we have to grow morality. That's the message of this Peace Prize winner. We have to... We have to grow morality because only with that will these restless expressions of the world, racism, war, and peace, come to an end. The author says we should have a peace race, not an arms race. A peace race. Who, which country can be more peaceful? Who can be happier, right? We can see whose legs are longer, whose lung capacity is stronger. It should be who's happier. And if you're happy, you'll be happier the other person's happier. So really, you become happier. Then they look at you and they think, oh, you're happier. So they become happier. It's awesome. 
another insight is for there to be world peace, no group of people of any kind should live in fear or need. No group of people should live in fear or need. We have a lot of work to do when it comes to, to peace. And one more author highlights the restlessness in the world, he uses the word suffering, is because of our desires. Desires, someone with a lot of desires is just more selfish. And that desire that Eshana comes from, ignorance or avidya. And I really like this article because none of these Vedantic words are used, but that's exactly what Vedanta teaches. Ignorance causes desires and desires cause restlessness, vikshepa, projection, expectation. And finally, the 14th article, sorry, the 15th article is called Nelson Mandela and the Rainbow Culture by Anders Hollengren. Nelson Mandela and the Rainbow Culture. And this article begins by sharing that, how long was Nelson Mandela in prison? Anyone know? And where was he in prison? 27 years. How many of you are not 27 years old? So some of you, not even 27 in Robben Island. It's not even South Africa. That's a big country. Robben Island is a small, it's an island in the water. It's almost like, um, what's that? Alcatraz, right? Alcatraz in, near San Francisco. And within that, a, a jail cell. For those who have been on Yatras, you know what a jail cell, <laughs> what a jail cell is like. For 27 years, he was there. And as soon as he was released from prison, what did he start working for? Equality. Even equality for the people who put him in jail. And why did they put him in jail? Because his skin pigment is different than their skin pigment. Now for all of the people in the class, did you choose your skin pigment? You can, but you didn't. Correct? Fair and lovely can only do so much. Fair and handsome can do so much. Who knows why you're using it? <laughs> but it can only do so much. It doesn't change your pigment. It just bleaches your skin. That's different. Nelson Mandela followed what is known as colorblindness. Colorblindness means he never advocated for a specific group in counter to another dominant group, rather advocated for all groups. Often we hear this, you know, all lives matter as an example. That's what colorblindness is. All lives matter. Shared differently, he wasn't a nationalist. He was a internationalist. So much support came for Nelson Mandela from various countries and various organizations. And there's a lot of technicalities in this article, but the main message is he wasn't born like this. Nelson Mandela was actually quite the opposite of what we now know of him, very much like Mahatma Gandhi. 
His name is mentioned a lot in the article too. He wasn't born Mahatma. He was born Mohandas, which is also a lovely name. <laughs> and Nelson Mandela particularly took so many steps back and forth and back and forth. And that's why it's called rainbow culture. You know, with a rainbow, each color bleeds into the next. Only in cartoons do we see, okay, yellow ends here distinctly. And the next color begins. But if you've ever seen a rainbow in nature, there's no distinction of the colors there. Everything bleeds into each other. He took so many steps back and forth until he was finally established in peace in himself and he could encourage this for others. This article is quite important <coughs> for all of us because we're not young adults. We are evolving adults. And we put our chin and nose up like that. <laughs> evolving adults in the sense that we're not fixed fully in our professions, our locations, and so on. Which means we also can take one step back for two steps forward. I can go back to school to have a more idealistic profession as an example. I may not have kids right now. I can work harder with my spouse to find more collaboration before we bring another entity into the world. And on and on and on. Many, many, many back and forths until there was that forward momentum. For us to be okay with that. If you enjoyed what you heard or you want to learn more, share this episode with a friend or find us online at medium.com slash Vichara Gurukula. For those on the journey of self-development, Vichara Gurukula is a community forum that provides an opportunity to listen, reflect, and contemplate. This podcast is produced by the Young Adults of Chinmaya Mission, an international nonprofit working to transform individuals through the knowledge of Vedanta. Until next time, inspire, love, be.